This morning's reading is found in Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. Please follow along in your bulletin. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where, then, is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. This is the reading from God's word. Good morning, Watermark. Uh, how are you guys doing? Guess you can't start a sermon without asking that question anymore here. We, we're in the church plant, but we have a lot of traditions starting. Uh, my name is Mike. Um, I'm working with uh, the university sto- students here at Watermark. And uh, let me just say thank you for all the people that have helped over the past two days. We had an amazing outreach uh, to the college students with um, Gunger from the U.S. And so there were a lot of people helping with that. And also a lot of people have supported us on making the mission trip possible. We're going to the Philippines next Saturday with a group of students. So I just want to start out uh, saying thank you to so many people who have been praying and supporting and helping out. Um, So I've been, been a part of Watermark and just seeing how we've come together family really has been humbling and amazing to see. We've been on a journey of stu- studying the book of Galatians, and I've studied the book of Galatians many times before, but this is the first time studying Galatians while being a part of a church plant. And it's interesting how many new uh, dimensions and layers of the scripture are revealed when you look at, at Galatians just through the lens of church planting and, and being a, a newly formed community. Uh, to quickly recap, um, we are on that journey. We are now in the uh, third week of looking into Galatians. And uh, just to recap for those who either have not been here or are new to the church, I uh, just want to give you a brief overview of what we've been looking at. So the book of Galatians is actually a record of a letter written by Paul. And uh, the letter was written about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, Paul had become to believe in, in Jesus as the one true God. And now he has been starting to travel through the Roman Empire and sharing this message of of Christ. And uh, the people that started believing in the message formed communities, um, churches. So one of these churches um, starts in Galatia, which nowadays is uh, central Turkey. 
And so there is a community that starts gathering, and they're like-minded uh, followers of the message that Paul has, has, has been passing on. Now, um, what Paul is addressing in the letter of, of Galatians is that there's a conflict uh, arising. Now, the conflict is that there are new people stepping into the community, and they are bringing a message in that is contradicting to what Paul has been sharing. And so there's a struggle over, so what message should we follow? What's really the truth about this? Um, Paul's message that, that really united that community is called the gospel. Um, the gospel means the good news. Now, what was, what was good about this news? Why was it a good news? Um, the, the news was basically that as we look around, the world is broken and we see injustice and hurting people. And, uh, and ultimately, as we this brokenness in our, our world, we see a sin. Now, the good news is that God didn't leave it with that, but that he actually came in the person of Jesus Christ and he died on the cross for the forgiveness of the sins. He reconciled everything back to himself. And so by his love and grace, and not by our own good deeds and any, anything that we can add to that, that's what we are saved by. The conflict arises because these people that are stepping in, they're looking at this message and they are saying, yeah, that, that's not really the, the whole message. Uh, no, you actually have to do a lot of things. You have to observe these like dietary laws and rituals and traditions and Jesus' death on the cross is not really all that there is. So here we are now in chapter 4. And starting in verse 8, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or are rather known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've, uh, I've wasted my efforts on you. Now, just last night, I experienced that, um, that there are these things that are not gods that try to, to pull you in. Uh, they, are, they are by nature not God, but we treat them like a god. The, the god that I'm talking about is the god of football. <laughs> For those uh, who know that sport as soccer, let me explain about last night. Uh, because last night, uh, exactly between like 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, there was a Champions League final. Now, the Champions League is like the Super Bowl, right? But a lot more interesting and exciting. <laughs> um, so, last night there were these temptations of these weak and miserable forces that wanted to enslave me, getting up in the middle of the night, watching TV, despite having had a really busy week, not a lot of sleep, having a cold, and on the other side, there was God saying, no, you should get some rest, you should take care of yourself, uh, the message that, that you, you should give, you should be rested for that and you should focus. And so I leave it up to you, your imagination, whether the miserable force is one or a God. Uh, just that much, when you start to follow the miserable forces, they have a habit of disappointing you. Um, <clears throat> that, so there are countless gods trying to grab our attention. They want to enslave us. They want, to, want us to worship them. They, will, they want, want us to devote our time. They want to, us to devote our resources, our passion. But really, by nature, they are no gods at all. Let me share you a, a story that uh, throughout the sermon, I'll, I'll, I'll use it to illustrate a little bit more what I'm talking about. The, the recent conflict be between China and the Philippines reminded me of that story. Actually, in the year 1944, there was an island in the Philippines, the island of Lubang. 
and a, a person, a Lieutenant Hiro Onoda from the Japanese army, was sent to this island of Lubang, just about a hundred miles south of where the current conflict on an, um, about an island is happening in the Philippines. And so he was on that island, sent in the, in the Second World War to gather intelligence and coordinate guerrilla attacks out of the jungle during the Second World War. Now here's his mission report and what it said. Your mission may take three years, it may take five, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Until then, so long as you have one soldier, you are to continue to lead him. You may have to live on coconuts, that's what it, if that's the case, then live on coconuts. Under no circumstances are you to give up your life voluntarily. Now, soon after he arrived on this island, the island was overrun by the Allied forces. Uh, the surviving men, they retreated to the jungle, and Onoda actually joined with three others, and they formed a little unit. And there they started to organize attacks on you know, the people that were going by and, and try to survive on coconuts, um, as the mission report basically stated to them. Now there was something happening in 1945. They found a little leaflet, and the leaflet said, the war is over, come back out. But they were very smart. It's a, it's a trick from the enemy. They are just trying to get us out. We're staying right here where we are. So they stayed. And the years passed by, and after several years, all his friends had either died or surrendered, but Hiro Onoda stayed true to his calling till the year 1974. After thir almost 30 years in hiding in the jungle, a college student from Japan got on the plane, went to the, uh, to the Philippines, and he followed the myth of Onoda, trying to figure out what happened to him, and he found him in the jungle. Now, when he told him that the war had long been over, he did not believe uh, what, what uh, uh, Nori Suzuki, the young college student, had to, say, had to say. So he said, not till I get from my commander the report that says that my, my, uh, that my task is over, will I leave this jungle. So he flies back, gets him, comes back, and there his commander tells him, yeah, it's true, the war has long been over. Freedom had come. But Onoda did not believe in the message of peace. Instead, he has wasted many years of his life, enslaved by the lie that he believed, not realizing that he had just had to step out of the jungle into freedom. Galatians 4 says, Formerly you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. And then, how is it you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So what is Paul talking about here? Um, we are all slaves to countless gods. Uh, we, are sla we are slaves to idols, uh, the lies that we believe. And Paul describes these idols um, as not being God in nature. They actually are weak and miserable forces. In my own life, I, I've seen that a lot. Um, when I worked in banking, I had an idol lifted up of success and money. Now, as a pastor, it's about status and how people think about you, we all build up these idols in us. Idols desire our passion, they desire our devotion, and everything about us. And ultimately, they, do, they control our life. Now, let me sh share one other story that happened about two years ago. Um, one of my new friends here in Hong Kong from mainland China, he studied at a university here as well, he came to Christ. Now, I'd been discipling him for a while, and we were sitting up on a pond up in Kowloon Park, 
And we were just talking about the gods we worship. And he says, I'm from mainland China. I often an atheist. Until the day that I became a Christian, I did not have any gods in my life. So I just continue talking about what it really means to having idols and, and having you know, things we worship. I asked him um, whether he had, has anything that ever brought him good luck. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. And he pulls out of his pocket this little jade coin or like circle. He said, my mom gave that to me before I left to Hong Kong. And every time I had an exam, I took it into the exam, and I did really well. I've been really lucky. So I, I, I took that coin and I said, so do you mind if I just like, throw it in the lake? And he, no, no, no. And I, what? Like, why do you react so strongly? Like, I thought you don't have any idols. Oh. And as we are starting talking about, he realized that he has, had assigned something very powerful, something divine to this little thing. And he had given that little thing a power over him, and he put his hope in it. Paul talks about these weak and miserable forces, which, we, which are no gods by nature, but we, we do assign power to them, and we let them rule over us. Uh, there's a, a leading theologian from the 18th century, and this is a little tongue breaker, Friedrich Schleiermacher, um, <laughs> and he talked about this whole concept in, in detail. So he has these different levels that he talks about to help us understand how many gods we actually create. So the first level that he talks about is what he would kind of describe as talismanism. So a talisman is a man-made thing, a little item that we assign the power for, uh, something powerful, something divine to. Now it's like my friend's jade coin. Well, when I was young, I had a little like, stuffed animal that I would actually take to my exams as well. So I could relate to how my... Uh, <laughs> It was my good luck monkey that I took into all my exams, and I did really well. I was very lucky. Um, now, you may have a little necklace you wear. You may have a pen that you use to sign all your important papers to make sure that all your contracts go well. You may have red underwear. Um, some people do, I heard, in China. Um, or you may have a little golden statue in your home. Uh, even the banks and police stations, actually, in Hong Kong, you see they have like cannons or dragons in, in the entrance. And they actually are man-made idols to keep the evil spirits out. Uh, the police station, the cannons were set up so that the police force would not be depressed. And the dragons were set up to keep the spirits from coming in and uh, bringing bad fortune to the bank. Now, it's pretty obvious that we have man-made idols all around us in this city. So, but it's not just man-made things that that we can assign the divine to and, and, and lift up as idols over, over us. There's also people. So the second level that Schleiermacher talks about is shamanism. Now a shaman is a divine person. Like we assign the divine to a human being and lift them up as being something powerful. In Hong Kong, you see that at Temple Street, for example. You go to the fortune teller, they'll read your hand, or they'll look in the stars or your birth date, and you know, then ultimately they, they will point you to what you need to do, and, and you assign the divine power to them over your life. You may adjust your life according to it, or you call the Feng Shui master into your home. Now, there may just be an architectural thing about it, but ultimately there's a whole spiritual dimension behind it. And you may want to adjust everything in your home according to how the spiritual balance and harmony in your home should come through that. And then you may actually pay money for them, and suddenly you realize how you've elevated a person with something divine to your own life. But I would say we even do that with pastors in Hong Kong. The way that 
I have sometimes seen pastors being, being viewed as this, this powerful person that has something that I cannot have and I need to go to that pastor for, for not just wisdom and, and a pointer to God's power, but that somehow this person has power that I cannot have, but Christ has come to be the media, mediator for us. So we see that even there we begin to assign something powerful, something divine to people, but it may be as subtle as your spouse, your children, and you begin to find more hope in your own family than you find in Christ. And suddenly you realize how much you have elevated people in your lives. Now the third thing, the third level that this guy talks about is uh, nature and the unseen. So we've talked about things or people, but there are also unseen things that all around us we assign something powerful to. Um, it may be something like a spirit of a mountain or of a river. But even as you look around in Hong Kong, if we, if we could look this way, you know that there's a spirit of a dragon in this mountain and in the Bel Air, one of the most uh, expensive real estate pieces in the world, they had to cut out holes so that the dragon actually will not get upset and bring bad, bad fortune to the people living there. Now when you think about how expensive real estate is over there, why would an architect ever cut out like place for 20 apartments at like 50 million Hong Kong dollars just to please a dragon spirit? Now, or the number four. How many people would not want to pay the, the same price for an apartment on the fourth level of, an, um, of, of a building? So you suddenly realize that there are forces that we assign the, the divine to that we don't see, but we give them power. This morning I stepped out of my door and there's my neighbor and he does his thing in the morning. He has a little pot right in the middle in front of my door and he burns all that stuff for, his, uh, for, uh, for the ancestors. He has a little sticker that he put next to our lift so that the ghosts don't come up. Um, and in Sai Poon, you know that there, there has been a mental institution that there are a lot of ghosts in that area. So um, he, he's, he's very thorough. Every, every morning he goes to the ritual and you see how he has been enslaved by pleading the spirits by the un unseen forces. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that these forces don't exist and that they are not real and that they are something to joke about. I very much believe that there are forces that can be assigned to people or to the unseen and that there is a spiritual world all around us. But in the words of Paul, I believe that these powers are not of God, that they are weak and miserable forces that ultimately try to enslave us. As you think about your own life, what and whom are you assigning divine power to? Like what resonates with you? What idols are there that are part in your life? Are there tangible things, uh, things in your life that, that you put your hope in? You know, maybe you have good luck charms, but maybe it's, it's just your flat, your money, your status, and you put your hope in the security that comes through that. Or are there people that you, know, you seek out um, for your well-being? It can be a monk or a fortune teller, but it could be your spouse, that you put in more hope than Christ. Or unseen forces, um, spiritual forces like the chi and everything that's related to the chi and uh, ghosts and ancestors, but maybe also the unseen spirits of pride and lust and being in control of everything. Now, I spent a lot of time unpacking some of these idols, but uh, I think it is important to just stop and not just look at Galatians and what it was for them, but what does it mean for us now, here in Hong Kong, right here in this year? 
It's easy for us to say, I don't really have the same kind of idols. I, actually, if I look at my life, I don't really think I struggle so much with, with gods that I lift up. But are you sure that you are not like Lieutenant Onoda? That after years and years living in the jungle, one day you look back at your life and you realize, money enslaved me, studies enslaved me. I had idols in my life that I lifted up and they controlled every one of my steps. Paul reminds the Galatians of the truth that freedom has come and Christ has set him free. But Lieutenant Onoda, when he was in the jungle, there were flyers that were dropped in the forest. There were cars going around the jungle with big speakers announcing peace. But every time when, when they were starting to talk about these things that were happening, they talked to each other and confirmed to each other that, oh no, this is all a lie. They were so caught up after some years of living this false reality that it became their truth. He could not really flee, he couldn't really step out and, and was completely uncaptured by the lie he was living. And I wonder, so when I look at the Galatian church, it being a young church, what does it mean for us? Like Watermark is only a year and a half old and we are on a new journey and a lot of people, maybe young, young believers, some of you, um, you, may, you may have still like a lot of questions about the truth of the gospel. So what does it mean for us? What, how can we find out whether we're living in the truth or whether we're living a lie? So I want to just look at a couple of things um, and how we can maybe protect ourselves, how we can uh, evaluate that. Um, how do we not fall into that trap that the Galatians fell into and, and how do we identify these like lies that come, come at us? So one of the first things that I would suggest is that, you, that we can do as a church is to simply know the gospel. Like if you know what the truth is and you, you match it with what not is truth, then you, you can like know where to go. But the point is knowing the gospel is not like knowing the right answer to your exam. If the gospel is all of life, there's so much about this message. And you saw the Galatians being very confused as soon as like a new twist and, and a new little bend to that message came. They said, oh, maybe that's still true. So I grew up in Germany and I lived in a culture that supposedly is Christian. But as I, I, I grew up, I actually went to Christmas services. I, I also went to Easter stuff, but it had more to do with the bunny and not so much with the real message. So ultimately, as, as I, I went through that, I realized that the DNA of the gospel was so hidden. The truth of the gospel was so hidden beyond all this other stuff that I couldn't really see it. Now, when I was um, 19 years old, I started to, to think about it more. And I was confronted with the gospel. And, and, so, and like step by step, I realized that the gospel message about you know, God coming to this world in the person of Jesus Christ being 100% God, 100% man, dying on the cross for my sin, and that there was no way around to, to twist that message and uh, that this God is not a distant God, but that he longs for a relationship with me. I, had, I wrestled with that. I started to study archaeology and history and I did not want to embrace this message, but all my searching and, and wrestling with it ultimately led me after several years when I was 23 to ultimately give my heart to that message. And the deeper you begin to understand and, and allow the gospel to sink into your lives, the more you become rooted in the message. I've been thinking about what it means for us and 
one of the things that, that has come to my heart was like seeing Eric work with the youth. Uh, I've been a youth minister for three years when I first stepped into ministry, and so I had to think about what does it mean for your kids and, uh, and the youth uh, in this church? Um, because one of the things that I have seen and what I've wrestled with uh, while being in Hong Kong is that sometimes you see parents dropping their kids off at church on Sunday morning, maybe sending them to youth group, and the hope is that somehow they'll become good kids and they'll do the right things. But there are like these three, four hours of exposure. And as they go back into the world, into their schools and into their families, is that the same message? Will they come back and will their parents pray with them? Will the kids look at their own parents? Will they see the gospel message, the truth being lived out on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't know how it is for you. Um, and there's a tension, obviously, in looking at this message and realizing that there's freedom, but there's also responsibility for us to, um, to live out this message. So I'm not, I not want to put that guilt and responsibility on parents, but for us as a church family to ask this question together, how can we expose... How can we make the gospel known, not just on two hours on Sunday morning, but in every aspect of our lives? How in the school, in your family, how we can, can we come alongside each other and exposing each other and, and rubbing the DNA on each other of the gospel? Now, the second thing that, that I think is, um, uh, is pretty significant is community. Now, who is the community that surrounds you? Um, what do they tell you? In, in, in verse 17, it says that uh, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I'm with you, I have had people in my life that I was very close with, very close friends, and I, as I look back, um, I realized they did not have a good purpose. And I look at my life and I realize sometimes I haven't had a good purpose about being around people. When I think of a true friend, I would ask, my question, uh, ask myself the question, like, do, I have a, do I have people in my life that would really tell me the truth? Honestly, that's difficult stuff. Like think of you, uh, of you being upset with your boss or with your wife, or you have a conflict with a friend, what do you want them to say? What do you want them to say? You are right. He, he's a jerk. You know, your boss treats you bad. and uh, You are right. You know, your spouse just should you know, respect you more and do this better and love you more. Or do you have friends that actually will tell you, you know what? <laughs> you really messed up. You need to go to apologize. Stop treating people that way. Stop being prideful. Stop with your unethical business practices. Now, which friend would you prefer? And I have to say, in my heart, I want, to, want people to like me, support me. But what does the gospel say? Now, in uh, verse 18, uh, 16, Paul says, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? I think it is a very clear indicator of how honest community looks like. At Watermark, you know, we, have, we talk about Watermark Community Church, so community is, is a center of, of where we want to go. So how we can protect ourselves from not falling into lies and, and living out um, these wrong messages is to be in a community where we tell each other the truth. 
So we, we have community groups all over the city. And so I would encourage you to think about if you're not a part of a community group, to, to step into a community group. And I'm not saying that they will all have a good purpose, but hopefully we will move step by step and go on this journey together, that we become people that will have a good purpose for each other, speaking the truth to each other. And when we fail, that we can approach each other again and become step by step more transparent and real with each other. That's my hope for what it means to stay true. Like, I don't want to sit in the jungle with three people that wrestle with, oh, I think it's a lie, and then ultimately wake up and say, I wasted my life. I have been following these idols. The third thing that, that strikes me about Galatians is that I don't see anything mentioned about an outward focus. Now, we talk about upward, inward, and outward here a lot at Watermark. Um, upward is your relationship with God and uh, that's an important part. And then inward, that you are part of community and then you grow deeper. But this outward part, I think, is very essential. You know, when I think about being outward, I, I think about being missional and being in the workplace, being in the family and living out the gospel, not just in the Christian bubble, but there where I may not have Christian community. Sometimes when you talk about maturity in the Christian faith, we think about coming to church and how much Bible knowledge we have. But I would suggest a different question. A question of Christian maturity could be, who do you disciple? Who do you mentor? Who do you pass on the message of Christ? Who do you wrap Christ on? And if you have a hard time thinking about who these people are, then maybe you need to ask yourself, like, how can I take steps into being outward? And again, remember, there's freedom, not a burden in this. It's not to walk away and feel like, I have to do these things. No, Christ has set you free. Now, how do you go in a community together on the journey that we become more outward focused? I, I like this, this phrase of saying, maturity is not how much solid food you can eat, but how much milk you can give to the immature. So how much do you feed the babies, the young people? How much do you pass on? Is your life centered around, oh, I go to all these Bible studies, I know so many things. Or do you ultimately say, because I know these things, I now want to go outward and impact people around me. I look at the Galatian community, and I wonder where are the people? And when Paul writes that letter to the Galatians, like why is he not saying, hey, listen to your elders. Listen to the people that tell you what you need to do. No, it's him who has to write and, and, and direct people. So I wonder where were the people that, that took that, that, uh, that leadership. But it was probably like Watermark, a very young community. So we just need to hope and pray that as we all stay, uh, take steps forward, that we could grow in maturity, that more and more people will become people that are not just eating solid food, but begin to pass things on, care for those who are not as far down in the journey. And finally, ask yourself whether you actually want to be free or do you want to be enslaved. Now, you may say that's a ridiculous question. Of course, I don't want to be a slave. I want to be free. But when I look at my life, I have to say, do I really want to? Now, let me explain that. Um, in Galatians, that was a big question. On the one hand, the message of grace was there. God did everything. He came down. He died on the cross, across. By grace, by his mercy, you are freed. That's it. Now, the other guys step in and say, hey, that's not really the full message. It's actually also what you need to do. 
know, you can observe these dietary laws and go get circumcision and, and follow these festivals and hey, it's all that you can do and you can control how you're saved. And somehow it's in us that we want to be our own savior and I think we all have that in us that we somewhat want to control areas in our lives. Do we really want to be in that freedom? Uh, Paul writes in verse 20, I'm perplexed by you. Why would you ever want to turn back to that? It's like Lieutenant Onoda, after coming out of the jungle after 30 years, like he would have said, oh, okay, there's freedom, but actually let me go back to the jungle. The funny thing is, he wrestled with that. The jungle had become his dear home for 30 years. That's where he functioned. The world had changed so much. So how to adjust to that? Or some studies have shown that when people have spent years and years in prison, they have a hard time living in freedom again. They prefer the controlled environment of prison. So the responsibility of really living and wanting freedom is big. We much rather want to have a religious system where we know if I just go to church and I go through my daily Bible reading plan and then I tithe a certain amount, then I'm good and I've done what I need to do. But Christ had done it, has done it all already. Nothing for you and I to add but to live out the gospel in all its beauty. And that's freedom. And so the only challenge I can leave you with today is embrace your freedom. Let's pray. Father, um, yeah, we just come before you uh, realizing that that freedom that you want to give us is not something that we run after and that we really desire all the time. So we just pray that if we don't know that freedom that the gospel message really uh, talks about, that you would reveal it and really show the lies we're living, that we would step out of the jungle in our life, realizing the idols that we follow, that uh, we are um, enslaved by so many things in this world. Father, that you would just reveal that to us and help us see the beauty of the freedom that is in, in you and in what you have done on the cross. Father, I just pray that no one would walk away today with the burden of guilt and responsibility and I need to do all these things and I do these things wrong, but that what you hear is your message of freedom. The freedom to, that you invite people into community with you and in community with one another. Just take steps forward at a time to really embrace the fullness of the freedom that you have given us, Father. And so help us see the idols that we worship. Give us the freedom to step out of it. As we find the freedom and the beauty of what you have done for us, then we would fully embrace it. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Wow. You want to be free, right? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. What does that look like in our lives? What does it look like to walk out of here different and free, not go back to the jungle that so easily kind of beckons us back? I kind of feel like I don't need to do announcements right now, but just continue worshiping a little or just thinking about the message and, and what God wants for us in our relationship with him. What does it look like to be free? And do we want do we want that in our lives? I mean, honestly, do you want that? Or do you want to go back?
There's a lot of neat things going on in the church, the community. I want to encourage you to get into a community group. It's the next step. It's the only thing we want you to do here. Um, it's where life is lived out. It's where people wrestle. It's where people are honest, hopefully. Again, we've always said we're young and we're, we make a lot of mistakes. We're not perfect. We're trusting the Lord as we go on this journey with him. I wanted to ask uh, Natalie Mann to come up and uh, share a little bit about what's going on with uh, the children's ministry for the summer. So summer is here, and it feels good. And our church is growing, which is another great thing happening here at Watermark. And I wanted to share that we are looking for new volunteers. So we're not just looking for them. We actually need them. So I wanted you guys, those of you who had a feeling like, wow, I love kids, but I just don't know if I have that energy or I just don't know if I want to give up, you know, my Sunday service. Um, it's actually a really great opportunity. We're only asking for once every uh, month. So for those of you who think, hey, I can give up one Sunday a month, uh, we really do need you. So parents who have kids uh, in the nursery or um, in the three- and four-year-old class, whoever you are, we're looking for you. And so please approach me after service. The great thing about this opportunity is we have training this week. So um, Thursday night, dinner provided. It's going to be an amazing time, 7 to 9 p.m. If you can come for an hour, that's great too. Saturday morning from 10 to 12 p.m., breakfast provided. Um, so you won't miss a meal. And, um, it's all about the food, it's right? All about the food. <laughs> it's all about the food. And um, so please, if you have any questions, if you're kind of on the brink and thinking about it, please just ask me questions. But we do need you. So we're saying we need you. <laughs> That's at the community center. Um, at the community center, Watermark Community Center in Sying Poon. So thank you so much and happy summer. That's great. Thank you. Thank We have just a couple really quick things I just want to run through. Next week is the beach party, so you want to come. There's, there's buses that will be available to take you out of here. There's places to eat there. We've already told them to be careful and be ready because there will be a lot of people coming to visit them. Um, and so we'd love for you to come get a pick up a ticket on the way out. There's two or three buses that will leave immediately after this. And so bring your, bring your, bring your beach clothes. Uh, if you don't know what those look like, just revert back to my birthday picture two weeks ago. That's what it looks like. Colorful, loud, and, and, and just easy to wear in hotness. So that will be next Sunday. Also, someone asked me uh, last week, they said, okay, you don't talk about tithing anymore. Are we not supposed to tithe? And uh, just so you hear our heart, you know, we haven't talked about it for about three or four weeks because we feel like it's, it's a journey that we're going on as a church, but it's, it's, it's a response to God and what God's done in your life. And so we, we need you to tithe. I mean, the, the scariest time for churches sometimes is the summer because everybody leaves, but ministry keeps going on and community keeps going on and outreaches keep going on and training keeps going on. But sometimes we forget about how that happens. But we want tithe to be a response on your part to what God has done in your life. So as you think about the message, as you think about the church, as you think about Galatians, as you think about what God has done in your life, we want you then to respond in that fashion. And everything you give to God is, is already his. It's already his. But scripture says that's probably one of your highest forms of worship. Because it's the thing that grabs our heart the most. So there's little purple envelopes. You can fill those out and put them in the boxes and worship God. Blue. <laughs> 
We have this little discussion in our office all the time. Uh, we're going to do an Israel trip next May. We're already planning that. We already got the dates, so we want you to pray about that. We think it's a great opportunity for the church. Christine and I have had the incredible privilege of taking people every other year. My mentor will be taking us again. We have, I think, the best tour guide and one of the top church historians in the world. And so we'll be praying about being a part of that. We'll give you more information, but it'll be in May. And I just want to pray right now. Uh, I'm kind of a little hesitant in doing this, but we had the, the university students going out, and I think that we talk about missions, right? Uh, there's one other person here I wanted to pray for, but they're not here, so I think they're serving in the youth because they're going to be going out to another city, another country. But the Scripture says that we're all missionaries, that we're all on a mission. And so the minute you leave here, you are a missionary. The minute you go to work, you're a missionary. Wherever you go back to your family, for some of us, our families are the hardest mission field we'll ever be in. But we're called to be missionaries and to point people to the gospel and to Jesus. So I'm going to pray for the university students as they go to be missionaries in another country as opposed to their university where they already are missionaries. But I want to pray for all of us as we head out. That we remember the great responsibility we have and the privilege of throwing out flyers and saying there's freedom. There's freedom. You don't have to live in a jungle. You don't have to be in bondage. That's why God has called us here as a church. Father, I pray for my, this family, our family. What an amazing privilege to come and just worship you. To feel your spirit in our life. Father, I pray for us as we leave here that we're different than when we came. I pray that we wouldn't so easily be entangled by the jungle around us. Help us to be friends and yell out at friends who jump into the jungle and remind them, get out of there because you're going to get caught. Help us to be missionaries wherever you send us because you've called us to do that as a church. And that's our chief purpose is to glorify you and to make you known to the nations, wherever our nations are and wherever you send us. So I pray for the university students. I pray for safety and travel and just an amazing time. I thank you that you've given us the privilege of sending them out to minister in a different country as opposed to Hong Kong. But Lord, in the same way, I pray for all of us that as we go out of here today that we just realize that we're all missionaries. And we're all called to love well and to share well and to serve well and to give well because of what your son has done for us already. So Lord, we love you and we need you desperately. We pray all these things in your son, Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless you and have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.